Hey, greetings. Uh, this is a little different format than normal, but uh, glad to get in front of you, even though it's an electronic version of me. Um, Ben's asked me to read our scripture today. Uh, we're looking at Acts chapter 27, verses 1 through 12. Uh, so grab whatever uh, Bible you've got handy, and if you'll join me, again, Acts 27, 1 through 12. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Andromitium, which is about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coasts of Kilikia and Pamphylia, we came to Murrah and Lucia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Canidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along, uh, coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Haven, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot, to the owner of the ship, than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there, on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. So Paul was on a journey that he didn't want to be on. And he couldn't do anything about it. He was at the mercy of the winds and the will of those in authority above him, however foolish they were. Can any one of us relate? All of us. I love the Bible. What an anchor for all of life through any storm. Sometimes storms come and go quickly. Sometimes they linger or wreak destruction that changes everything. So I had planned on preaching all of Acts 27 in one message, and now I think we'll linger here for a bit. If you're just now jumping into this series, welcome, but know that there's a whole lot of history and background to this. I've been preaching through Acts for two and a half years, with a brief 34-message excursus into Ephesians, and you can listen to all of those online if you have some extra time. For the past few weeks, we've been following Paul's journey to Jerusalem and now on to Rome, a journey full of uncertainty restriction, limitation, hardship, trial, and pain, a journey of suffering. Paul was not surprised. He knew the Spirit had led him to this, but that didn't make it easy. He simply hoped to remain faithful through suffering while fixing his eyes on the faithfulness of his God. Again, I hope we can all relate. While there's a spectrum to be sure, and I'm not attempting to minimize the suffering of some or to grandiose the suffering of others, 
we're all facing uncertainty, restriction, limitation, hardship, and trial. Maybe unlike anything we've ever experienced. So I had felt the Spirit's leading to preach these suffering sermons months ago, long before COVID-19 reached our shores. And I had assumed it was just an appropriate Lenten series preparing us for Easter. After all, you can't get to Easter without going through Good Friday. You can't know true life without death first. You can't fully rejoice and be truly grateful if you've never experienced loss and pain. And while all of those are true, I had little idea, like everyone else, that there was a global pandemic on the horizon. The winds were blowing, but we were reading them all wrong. And now we find ourselves on a journey that we don't want to be on. And there's nothing we can do to change our circumstances. We're at the mercy of the winds and time, and we're under the authority of those placed above us, however foolish they may be. We need Paul. More than that, we need God's Word. It's living and active and always speaks truth into our now. We need something even more than God's Word, though. We need God Himself, the God who makes the winds blow and the storms come, the God who stands up and commands them to be still. God was clearly present with Paul throughout this suffering journey. Remember, Jesus had met him in Jerusalem while he was under arrest. He encouraged him. He empowered him. He continued to speak to him on his journey to Rome. And even though the storm was present, and he did not deliver him from his chains or cease the winds from blowing, God's presence was even greater. God was faithful. So was Paul. What what does this mean for us in a time like this? I think so much. The God who is present and will never leave us may not always deliver us from the storms, the trials, the hardship, suffering, or from foolish decisions and poor leadership by those in authority above us. But that doesn't mean God is absent or impotent. And he is not surprised, nor should we be. Peter, the Apostle Peter, said in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, not, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So be firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I preached on God's presence in suffering a few weeks ago, so I won't re-preach that message, though it is applicable. Just be reminded that God has not gone anywhere. He is sovereign, and He is in control. Which leads me into my second point. How can we honor and submit to those in authority over us whose decisions radically impact our lives when they may be ignorant and foolish at best or evil and careless at worst in the case of Paul? So remember who is in control. Proverbs 21, 1 and 2 reminds us the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Which should lead us to prayer. When so much energy is spent, even by followers of Christ, attempting to get the right leaders into place, and I'm not arguing, there should be energy spent there. 
But there's also energy spent working to remove the wrong kinds of leaders, to elect the right ones, at least by our perspective. What would happen if just just for a moment we spent as much energy praying for God to turn or even completely change the heart of the leaders we already have? There will be consequences for bad leadership, which may affect us all. There will also be accountability for all who lead, and that's sobering. But ultimately, there is one judge, and all will give an account. Jesus knew this. Just as Peter said, the Apostle Peter, 1 Peter 2, 23, When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. This doesn't mean we remain silent. Paul spoke up, but when you are in the minority, when your voice is dismissed or overruled, how can you respond that would still honor? Paul continued to seek the Lord, to pray earnestly, to respond to his voice. He encouraged those around him. And we'll see this in the rest of chapter 27. He gave all of his energy to serve, to seek to save life, even though it was bad leadership that had risked it in the first place. Paul could have taken the opposite. He could have hunkered down in a hole, in the hole somewhere with his arms crossed in an attitude of, listen, I'm out. Don't look to me. I tried to warn you. In, in fact, he had been encouraged and emboldened by Jesus that he would reach Rome safely. So he could have been asleep in the boat. He could have been arrogant, but instead he was all in. At risk of his own life, he served and he continued to strive. More on that next week as we see the storm continue. I think it's informative for our response in this current storm we find ourselves in. Another observation, Paul was not alone. Did you notice there's a shift in the person by Luke? He's done this throughout Acts. When he joins the team, he starts to speak in the plural, the we. And he does that here at the beginning of chapter 27. Luke has joined Paul again, as did Aristarchus. Neither of them were under arrest, but they freely took on the form of a prisoner to accompany Paul. How encouraged he must have felt. In Colossians, he would mention their loyalty and their friendship, even calling Aristarchus his fellow prisoner. Though Aristarchus was free, he remained by Paul's side. They were willing to risk their own health, their own comfort, and even their own lives to love and serve a brother in need. Please hear me in this application. I'm not saying we ignore the wisdom of social distancing in this time. I'm I'm just saying we as followers of Christ whose ultimate hope isn't in this life, we respond differently to hardship, to trials, to storms. We respond with love and grace and compassion. We willingly lay aside our own needs and our own comforts to serve others because that's what Jesus has done for us. And Paul reminds us of that in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and following. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourself. Consider others' interests greater than your own. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's who Jesus was. That's who he is through his people. So if you will ask, the Holy Spirit will lead you to those who are in need, who are perhaps alone or isolated. Respond to that prompting when someone comes to mind. And don't merely pray for them. Reach out to them. 
and don't only ask what you can do. Consider what you might actually attempt to do, because what it tends to be the response in this day is, nope, we're doing good, doing great. And sometimes it seems that we don't reach out until it's absolutely a crisis point. We can take a gesture, it may not even be the right one, but it will be received, I think, with love. I wonder if it's possible that Paul even told Luke and Aristarchus, no, listen, save yourselves, it's too dangerous. Jesus has said he'll, he'll be with me in, reach, in reaching Rome, but protect yourselves and pray for me and go serve the church. And they, may not, they might have taken no for an answer, they may have joined him anyway, and regardless, I'm sure he felt incredibly loved. Some of you need to ask for help as you're listening to this. You see, there's times where Paul clearly asked for help and relied on the love and hospitality of the body of Christ. Please don't wait until things get to that crisis point. Don't be the martyr unless God is asking you to be the martyr. And don't wait for the eye of the storm when the second half of the storm is still about to come through. Look to the horizon. And if there's a storm on the horizon, would you please reach out? You have a a community that would love to serve and respond if they are able. So here's a way to do that. Do so through prayer requests. In fact, that's probably the greatest need that we have anyway. And maybe there is no other need. But as others hear your requests, as you share vulnerably with others, maybe we'll gain a clearer picture in how we might be able to help in tangible ways. So please use our prayer chain. Use our new Slack platform, which we've already communicated in our newsletter and in my welcome. Contact our church office at the info email. And you can pause right now to do that if you haven't done it. Info at uhchurch.org would be the simplest way. If any of your recent prayers have sounded like this, and I know we have all been in seasons like this, when our prayers sound like, where are you, Lord? Why won't you help, Lord? I'm crying out to you. Then take this as you're listening as part of his answer to you, this invitation. He uses his people to help. If you fell into a pit and broke your leg, you would cry out to help, wouldn't you? You wouldn't only quietly pray for God to rescue you. We are not alone. It's one of the enemy's primary lies, which he has been speaking forever. But especially in uncertain times, in times of fear like this one that we're in, his lies sound like this. They sound like you are alone. No one truly cares. No one truly sees you. Even God has left you. If people really knew... They wouldn't help you anyway. In fact, you got yourself into this, so you don't deserve their help. Does any of that sound familiar? Reject those lies, because God's word rejects them. God's word, in fact, declares throughout it, he made you, he calls you son or daughter, he loves you more than you know, he stands ready to forgive anything if you'll bring it to him. And he has put his spirit into his people to extend grace and mercy, love and compassion in the same way that he always does, to be his hands and feet. So in the middle of storms, when we find ourselves on that journey that we don't want to be on, that we wish would just be over, but that we can't do anything about, when we're at the mercy of the winds and the will of those in authority above us, however foolish they are, remember this, this is nothing new. We are not alone. Jesus has gone before us, and he is with us. We cry out to him, we reach out to him, and we take hold of the hands that he sends to reach out to us.
Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you that you are not surprised by anything, that you are sovereign and you are in control. You meet us right in the places that we are, whether it's in prison or in the midst of a storm. And sometimes you calm that storm with a word. Sometimes you rescue and deliver in a moment. You do the miracle. Other times you say, I am with you. And you allow the storm, the winds to blow, and the waves to crash. Yet what can we do but worship you, Lord? For you alone are good. You alone give us hope. You alone declare the promise that this life is not all there is and it's not where our hope ultimately rests. You alone promise to give us rest, to bring us peace that even transcends understanding. We count on your promises. We stand upon them. We reject the lies of the enemy that he would like to isolate us, ultimately crush us and bring us to despair. And we reject that. We bind him and the authority of Jesus as the ambassadors of Jesus, not with power aside from him. We bind the enemy that he has no influence in the lives of his people. And we pray we would stand firm upon your truth, Lord. Give us humility to reach out when we need help, to reach out and ask for the prayers of brothers and sisters. We know you will lead us, Lord. You're already standing in our tomorrow and in our next week and in the next month. You number every one of our days and we count on it, Lord. Keep our eyes fixed upon you, Jesus. You are the author and perfecter of our faith and give us your mind, your mindset, your heart and your attitude as we seek to be faithful and to endure, as we seek to, as James says, consider all trials as pure joy. Lord, grow us to that place where at minimum we recognize you are at work because the testing of our faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that we may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And give us wisdom, Lord. As James continues, anyone who lacks wisdom should ask God and he gives generously to all without finding fault. Lord, we feel at a loss so often. And I know there are many leaders at a loss that need desperately your wisdom. I pray they would cry out to you. And if they don't, we're crying out on their behalf. Bring them wisdom. Holy Spirit, lead them. Lead them even if it's counter to the majority. Let them be bold leaders for the sake of love, compassion, and grace. Would you take in your hands the the hearts of rulers, of mayors, of governors, of kings, of presidents, and turn them where you will? Lord, we believe in you, the miracle worker, the way maker. We celebrate you. We worship you. We long for the time when we, as your church, can gather again freely and proclaim your name. And we pray you will be drawing so many more to you in this season and through this storm. All of this, Lord, is for your glory and for our joy. And we pray it in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Be sure to set aside some time to take communion with your family or even as an individual. Know that you are not alone. So pause and get some bread or some juice, some wine, or 
listen to these next few songs and then pause and commune together. You can follow along the guide that has previously has been sent. That would be more extended time to commune together. Or you can simply give thanks, ask God to forgive your sins, be reminded what he has done for you, his life given, that you might have life and life to the full. Love you, church. Miss you. Praying for you. Looking forward to seeing you soon.